Hey, Stephen here. A very brief word before we begin. Um, I cannot express how much pride I have in our editorial team here at Green Tech Media. Every week, our small but mighty team puts together long-form analysis on the energy business that will give you intelligence to help you run your business better. Um, we're covering daily news, but we also work hard to do this long-form analysis. And if you want to support that work, and get access to analysis you can't get anywhere else, become a member of GTM Squared. We have enterprise accounts as well if you want to use it as an employee development tool. We're giving our listeners $50 off with the promo code PODCAST through the end of the year. So if you go over to gtmsquared.com and use the promo code PODCAST, you're going to get $50 off a yearly membership. And what do you do with that $50 you saved? How about investing in solar? Our sponsor, Wonder Capital, has you covered. Wonder is the industry's leading solar investment platform. GTM ranks Wonder as the top financier of commercial solar in the U.S. So if you want to invest in projects or you want your project financed, sign up at wondercapital.com GTM. That's Wonder with a U, wondercapital.com GTM. We're also brought to you by Shoals Technologies Group, the industry's top equipment maker for solar and storage. Your project deserves the best balance of systems tech so you can drive down costs and boost performance. And there's only one place to turn, Shoals. Find out more at Shoals.com. That's S-H-O-A-L-S, Shoals.com. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. I'm GTM Editor-in-Chief Stephen Lacey. Welcome. And this week, we have another edition of Consensus, our attempt to explain the arcane and hyped-up world of blockchain to our listeners in the energy business. Shale Khan is my co-host and our resident blockchain quality engineer. Hey, Shale. <laughs> hey, Stephen. Shale is actually the senior VP of research and strategy at the venture capital firm Energy Impact Partners. Uh, so EIP has made a handful of investments this year. You guys haven't been dumping money into blockchain yet. What gives? Uh, that is true. We, have, we are yet to make a blockchain energy investment. I won't say that it is impossible. I mean, one of the reasons is we tend to be later stage investors and there just aren't companies that are at our stage yet. Um, but, you know, we've been looking at the space and trying to make sense of where we think it's heading. So you know, it's on our radar. What stage are we in? That's what we're going to find out today. Way back in April, Shale requested or rather demanded that we not talk about blockchain until something big happens. So we held off and now we're sitting here with probably too much to talk about. The last six or seven months have brought a dozen or more major partnerships between energy incumbents and blockchain startups a new push for standards and cooperation, a nosedive for cryptocurrency pricing, and an entire country was tokenized. Scott Clavenna is here with us to help us understand all these happenings and separate the key from the hash. You like what I did there, Scott? I do. I do. Thanks for having me back. Uh, I'm like every other pundit when I come across something that's remotely confusing or buzzworthy. I just make puns or jokes. It helps deflect the realization that I'm over my head with this topic. You're saying you're a real pundit, huh? <laughs> oh, Lord. Scott is the chairman of Green Tech Media and Wood McKenzie Power and Renewables, and he's the guy following blockchain closely on our team. So we periodically bring him here to sort through the hype. The best place to start is probably outside of energy, very briefly. Amazon said this week that it's rolling out a blockchain as a service model that is similar to its server business, Amazon Web Services. The blockchain offering is actually under that same division. So, Scott, I'm really curious, is this important for expanding the applications for blockchain? I want to get a sense for what this does for this space, if anything. 
Well, we've just had like a day to look at it, but I think it's pretty important. I like the idea that so many companies want to, or at least potential startups, anyone you know developing new applications and technologies want to get into that, but have a hard time either with the fundamental technology or the basic, um, you know, getting programmers or even getting any kind of platform to start developing from other than, you know, just going online and getting the, uh, the public blockchain toolkits. And so by having a service, much like they got into cloud, uh, having a resilient you know, platform that they're operating, you know, it's a, I would say it's a good next step. I don't think it indicates that blockchain is hitting some major milestone in maturity yet, particularly how it uh, applies to the energy industry. But there are a lot of big companies in this space now that don't seem to be shying away from it, given how fast cryptocurrency valuations have fallen this year. So I think it shows there's a pretty good decoupling from you know the price of a Bitcoin and, and investor sentiment around cryptocurrencies and just fundamental enterprise level interest in using blockchain for any kinds of applications. Well, I think one of the things that's interesting about blockchain as distinct from other major technology um, hype cycles is that, you know, in most of these technology hype cycles, you you have that like Gartner curve, right? Like everybody gets very excited about it and then there's a crash and then it recovers. And in a lot of times in the, in the crash and that trough is where, Many of the big players start investing their long-term efforts as opposed to just stuff for press releases. But in most of those technology hype cycles, you don't actually have like a price of something that you can just watch go through the hype cycle in the way that you do with blockchain because there's a price on Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. So the hype cycle chart, you can literally map it to like the Bitcoin price in this case, which if you believe that means we're in the trough now. Um but if you think it's a typical hype cycle for a technology that has long-term legs, then it means, you know, we're going to come out of the trough and end up with longer-term value. Right. No, that's a great point. I, I do think where it's trading at the trough of despair right now. And I do think also if you just mapped the amount of progress and the number of pilots as, as like a separate, as a separate line against, you know, Bitcoin price, you would see for the energy industry, a pretty low but linear up and to the right a little bit, a slope um, kind of passing through below the hype cycle and then coming you know, up above this trough of despair. So I, I feel good about it long term. Shale, your firm, EIP and Amazon Alexa fund our co-investors in smart thermostat maker Ecobee. Is it just a matter of time before you're doing like voice control, blockchain enabled demand response? I mean, I've said for a long time, every time we have one of these blockchain conversations, I look forward to the point where, you know, we are doing things that utilize the blockchain without ever talking about them utilizing the blockchain. Just how when we talk about controlling smart thermostats via the voice, like we almost never talk about what the communications protocol is that's enabling that to happen, you know, and similarly, I think maybe, maybe we'll end up doing that, but I just want to never use the word blockchain when I do it. (laughs) Right, right. And I I mean, a lot of folks in that space have very similar sentiment. I mean, people at utilities say, we push this up by talking about applications, not by using the word blockchain. Um, Okay, so Scott, let's talk about sentiment really quickly, and then we'll run through some of the top stories that have happened over the last six or seven months. GTM has had two conferences this year on 
blockchain and energy. You're chair of those conferences. And both of them were kind of different from each other. We had one in New York earlier in the year, and then we had one in San Francisco later in the year. And they, they felt like very different conferences. Can you explain the sentiment at those different events and what it says about people's feelings toward blockchain in this space? Sure. Yeah, and they were different for sure. I mean, one, they weren't in the same location, so you don't have exactly the same setting and background. But in New York in April, it was sold out, oversold, tons of people there, um, lots of interest, lots of love for like the blockchain 101 presentation. So you, you definitely got the sense that people were there still in education mode, trying to understand what this is. And there were certainly a lot of folks at that conference from outside the industry, from the financial sector or other tech sectors looking in as here's another application set um, and another market sector to approach with blockchain. So I think it was obvious. It was a lot of fun being there. I felt I felt like hype sometimes is good just at a conference because there's a lot of energy, a lot of conversations. You meet a lot of people you don't normally run into. So that part I liked. You may remember, we though, there was a weird edge to it. it. I had a number of odd conversations. I think you were in one of them with me where one of the guys in a silk jacket told us about what sounded like actually a relatively credible so application of blockchain to solar. But then he decided to express his credibility to us by saying he had already established and was operating a blockchain application in porn. Right. I remember this very clearly. So that was like a touchstone for me at that conference. Like, oh, okay, we have definitely, we, hype has even reached the energy sector here. So there was that. He reminded me of like Jean Ralphio from Parks and Recreation. Yes. He was very similar to that character. He was. I, I just want to point out that there there is historical precedent for this. I don't know if you remember the story of the backstory of the founding of Clean Power Finance, which became Spruce Finance. But the original, I think the, the lead investor originally in Clean Power Finance um, was this guy who had made his riches because he had been the first person to buy the domain sex.com. And he sold it for a ton of money. Then he invested it in clean energy. So, you know, maybe that's real. And he never let anyone forget it. No. And then I think the interesting comparison then is in September, we went and had our second blockchain event of the year. And we held it at the headquarters of PG&E in San Francisco. So PG&E was quite involved in that conference, quite interested, shared a lot of case studies, a lot of the work that they had done from really non energy applications. It was more of an enterprise level application for them. One of the ones they shared around just supply chain management and tracking. And that that's a blockchain application that any industry with a complex supply chain uses. It's not specific to electric, uh, the electricity market. But then they were also looking at uh, blockchain for EV charging applications and uh, at least starting to poke around the idea of blockchain for um, other kind of energy transactions. And then it was a smaller crowd, but a much more sophisticated crowd, uh, many more utilities and, you know, real investors and, and uh, technology companies there. And more, we talked more about not just use cases in 101, but actual at least pilots and first, first projects um, still isn't really much commercially happening with blockchain and energy, but there's quite a lot more going on defining and refining the use cases and understanding the technology better. I would say though, one thing that I took away from that September conference was still a sense, and I, it may be an overused comparison, but I, I still can't help but look at an analogy with the early days of the internet. And one of the things that can 
continues to strike me about blockchain, and I would say frustrates me about blockchain, the market in general, is that if you compare it to the early days of the internet, what happened then, say in the 90s, early 90s and mid-90s, is a lot of companies, once the the uh, World Wide Web was established and some of the fundamental communication protocols were quite well hardened and people were starting to use um, email and other apps like that. Then there was a, a flood of commercial ideas, a lot of startups, lots of creativity and, you know, kind of ridiculousness too. A lot of hype was happening. Lots of startups building applications and, and business ideas based on a very mature technology that it would write on top of the fundamental inter- internet protocols. And so the the bubble that was created were companies that were building on top of something that was stable. And so whether they succeeded or failed didn't wasn't necessarily a result of whether the technology they were using was appropriate. It was more whether their business model was appropriate as an e-commerce solution or any kind of enterprise solution. And what's happening here that I find frustrating is the blockchain is still very immature. It's almost like the internet protocols in the early 80s where it was still an R&D or a military uh, application set. No one out in the you know public knew about it. Or if you did, you might have had like a bulletin board or an email in your university. Um, so where blockchain to me feels much more like that era but is being commercialized like the late 90s internet. And so this disconnect between the ambition of what these companies are proposing and just the fundamental toolkit they're using to build it, uh, I think is going to continue to frustrate everyone involved. Utilities, customers, investors, you know, startups, they're all going to keep running into, they're putting the cart well ahead of the horse, I think, in a lot of cases. And... Being able to demonstrate theoretically that this is possible, but not having the, that fundamental maturity underneath to really roll this out and show it's robust and scalable and you know build from there. Can you give a specific example of the type of thing that hasn't been settled in blockchain that you would want to be settled before fully commercializing? There's a, yeah, boy, there's a lot. Um, I mean, certainly in the internet, any networks being able to talk to other networks through standard interfaces was the fundamental way that the internet scaled. And we still don't quite have blockchain to blockchain communication or or interoperability. Um, I would say scale. There's a, there's a ton. There's scalability. How many transactions can you process on a blockchain? And so when you propose things like real time energy uh, trading, there could be dozens, hundreds um, depending on the size and scope of the network, tons of transactions going on. And the, the idea is that happens in real time based on real time price signals. But if it takes, um, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, a half hour to, to close a transaction on the blockchain, because it's not scalable enough, the, the, it simply doesn't work. You can't propose something like that. If the technology can't support it. And there are a variety of other things around, which we saw earlier this year with WePower and Ethereum. Sure. They try to use public Ethereum for that. It, it works to some extent to be able to just um, aggregate a significant amount of you know, energy data, tokenize it. You know, the process is there to take data and tokenize it. But when you start to model uh, real-time transactions across it, it, it falls down. It's either very expensive because of transaction costs or it's very slow because of the wait times associated with um, writing blocks to a blockchain. 
and you find it data privacy you know transparency is is a, a beauty for uh, blockchain for a decentralized financial system it's not great for a utility you know, like an electricity system that needs um, that doesn't want to expose everything you know the the generation or terms of a contract or someone's real-time home energy use to the entire public it's a bunch of things like that that keep happening and people get excited and then they run into one roadblock after another and i assume they're all they are all solvable these are all digital problems that you can get around to solving but that happened in the internet era that happened off stage in standards bodies and the and arpa and at universities around and r d centers around the world first and then people started building on top of it and that i think is going to be a consistent theme here for years not just you know the fourth quarter of 2018. Well, coming up, we're going to talk about efforts underway this year to try to solve some of those problems. But first, you think blockchain is hard? Try commercial solar. The amount of paperwork involved can quickly kill a deal. That's where Wonder Capital comes in. Wonder Capital is the industry's leading platform for financing solar. By approaching solar financing from a software perspective, Wonder has made it much easier to invest in projects and get investment for projects. That's why GTM ranks Wonder as the leading commercial solar financier in the U.S. Investors can earn up to 7.5% annually, and developers can get their projects done quickly. Find out more at wondercapital.com GTM. That's Wonder with a U, wondercapital.com GTM. And let's say you've got your financing in hand. You better be relying on the best equipment out there, and the best equipment comes from Shoals Technologies Group. Shoals is a world leader in balance of systems tech, making best-in-class junction boxes, combiner boxes, monitoring equipment, and more. Lower your costs and boost your performance with Shoals. That's S-H-O-A-L-S, Shoals.com. Okay, so venturing deeper into the energy world and some of the specific stories... I want to talk about one of the biggest projects to date. And then I want to touch on some of the standards stuff that you mentioned, Scott. So in October, there was an effort to tokenize the entire grid data of Estonia undertaken by WePower. WePower said it had processed 24 terawatt hours of production and consumption data on the blockchain and is using that data to create tradable smart energy tokens in Estonia's wholesale market. So I guess there's two questions that I have. What did WePower do exactly and why does the Estonian grid need to be tokenized at all? So let's take the first one. Scott, what did WePower accomplish there in Estonia? Well, it was a pilot. It was a test. So they, they didn't actually start trading energy or, you know, if you're an Estonian, you know, consumer, you're finding your energy is tokenized and you're in a local energy market uh, with, with a cryptocurrency on it. But they did, I think they fundamentally needed to know if a blockchain network could, you know, actually support something like that, get to the point where energy is traded, if not in real time, but over a... Um, I, over a blockchain, um, and they did do that. Yeah, you know, because the transmission operator in Estonia uh, has partnered with WePower. It's a fairly small country. They have a hundred percent smart meter penetration, all using the same data standard. So that helps a ton. Um, you could actually get a look then at the entire country on a standardized set of uh, usage data, generation and usage data, and so. I think what they were able to accomplish is take a real data set and then offline start testing it. 
So that that's the important distinction there. This wasn't like a pilot with the entire country of Estonia and everyone started trading energy via crypto. It was more WePower was able to get access to a set of data that was real from the entire country and then start modeling how um, some of the services that they proposed to offer could work across it. And so with that, I mean, it's an enviable thing. I think any uh, you know blockchain startup energy startup around the world would love to have had that sandbox to play in an entire country's energy data that's actually real and based on standardized data from smart meters so they're in a great position to learn versus some of these others but kind of as i was referring to earlier a lot of the things they're learning is that blockchain the you know the current public blockchains like ethereum have some of the features necessary but not all of them so i think what you're seeing in blockchain and energy versus some other blockchain markets a lot of what's gonna what's going on is this kind of learning where you find out how you have to adapt or customize or add layers on top of an existing um, open source public blockchain to make it suitable for energy and depending on who you talk to whether it's going to be we power or power ledger or energy web foundation um, LO3, Exergy, they're all co- coming at it a little differently. I think all these blockchains are going to be a little different, but they all are trying to address some of the shortcomings around uh, volumes of transactions, speed of transactions, um, data privacy requirements. So the the ones that you just mentioned, like three of those four are companies, right? LO3, PowerLedger, and WePower are all, I guess, building their own blockchain networks for their own private purposes which is a contrast to Energy Web Foundation, which is creating, as I understand it, an Ethereum-backed sort of blockchain of its own that could be used by third parties. So it's more of a platform. Am I thinking about that right? And is there other ways that you should distinguish between what somebody like WePower is doing versus what Energy Web Foundation is doing? No, I think that's right. I think Energy Web Foundation adds more of a nonprofit approach to this. And as a partner to the energy industry, just the way they came into the um, the market via RMI, I think their approach is to, and, I, and to their credit, I think understanding that Ethereum and the, the current blockchain technology was not up to the task, it made a lot of sense to create a consortium and get a lot of utilities involved and other you know technology companies involved, or even big energy companies like Shell involved to share best pra- you know come together and work on this together that's actually more reflective of went on of what went on back in the internet days so i guess if i were handicapping this race i like ewf's approach because that's really how things get done in moving you know fundamental digital products forward is you get big consortiums together everybody starts you know kind of beating it up and trying different you know submitting different applications working on test beds sharing that within the group and then everyone benefits. And I think utilities, to their credit, the nice thing about the utility industry versus some of the other industries like you know finance or other areas, utilities tend not to compete with each other. So there's a much more open and sort of willingness to share what they learn in, in tests and trials like this than um, keeping it private for competitive reasons. So I, I like that. And I think we'll probably see quite a, a lot more uh, visible activity come out of EWF because of the way it's structured. So then talking about Energy Web Foundation, they've they've now launched the first application of their 
blockchain with some fanfare. And the first application that they're going after is renewable energy credit tracking and trading. Why is that the first one to go after? And, you know, does that even approximate the complexity that you'll need if you try to get into some of these sexier applications like tokenizing entire grids data and allowing trading? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, I think the why is that it is easier. Uh, these tend not to be real-time applications, and that's that's one of the, the difficulties in any of the other um, energy trading applications that we're talking about. And so Rex, it is a fairly slow moving, you know, the, the increments of time are, are long, the size um, or the, the need to settle quickly is uh, not nearly, but there's a lot of focus on trust and provenance and the, and there's a certain amount of inefficiency in rec trading right now, just because of the, the, the necessity of lots of steps of verification along the way to make sure it has been generated by the, the source that it was um, attributed to and then that it was traded at the right market price between these parties and then when it's settled, it's, it's destroyed. Like all those things tend to have a lot of steps in it today that when you look at uh, a blockchain with a smart contract layer on it that's programmable and can act autonomously um, and you could standardize the contract within a blockchain so it just executes when the right conditions are met that clearly like emerged to anyone working in blockchain and energy like aha that sounds like a wreck you know the, certain things happen out in the real world you get that information you know a megawatt hour has been generated by a wind farm or what have you and then you need to you know create a wreck so that in a way a wreck has always been this this renewable energy certificate has always been just an idea you know it's it's a representation of the attributes associated with a megawatt hour so that's perfect for um blockchain because blockchain in, in a way just creates digital things you know and so a wreck is a perfect digital thing that then which is basically tokenized then but that can be traded and so there's already a system in place along um uh, within a blockchain to have this ledger that um is immutable and once if you trust the data that goes onto the blockchain then once it's on there no one can tamper with it and so that addresses some of the issues in rec trading around provenance and uh, is there any double counting is there any funny business with how the the rec was generated um or the origin of it so it, it has there's a real nice match between all the characteristics of a rec some of the inefficiencies within rec trading and the current, I would say, probably mature areas of blockchain. So if you're going to jump in, it's a perfect place to jump in and be able to demonstrate you can do something. I actually find this to be one of the most helpful conversations. I remember early in my career when I was trying to wrap my head around how recs work, it was kind of a foreign concept. They were pretty new. And, uh, you know, it took me a while to realize like how you create um, standardize and retire a wreck. And now I just take it for granted that I understand how those markets work. But it is still kind of a like strange concept, um, as are a lot of other financial instruments. Um, but if, if you understand how wrecks work, I think you can really understand, start to understand how tokenization works and why blockchain can be important for making the process of, say, 
tracking and retiring a renewable energy certificate easier and much faster. Yes. But to me, the core distinction between a renewable energy credit and trading electricity is that renewable energy credits were always only a financial instrument, right? That the, they were, they're created out of nothing and they're used to just track the sort of quote unquote green attribute of a, a megawatt hour. You're not actually trading the megawatt hour itself. In contrast to if you're trying to do real electricity trading, there is a physical component to that that has to be taken into account in a way that rec trading does not. And that's why, though it makes perfect sense to me that, that rec trading is the first application of blockchain, it feels to me like a, a reasonably big step from there to trading actual electrons in a grid. Yeah, I agree. That's true. It's true. I mean, I think even where you see peer-to-peer trading today on the blockchain, blockchain isn't at all yet a control layer it's been proposed as one you know it's it's when you look at the creative ideas from a lot of the blockchain startups they are looking at blockchain as the everything you know it's it's the financial layer and the control layer um it sort of takes over a local energy or takes over the grid and creates a local energy market and that i think it's i don't think anyone would agree it's it's quite ready for um so what does end up happening is it's almost like trading micro recs it's still just saying the attributes of a generation on one uh, solar rooftop is being sold to another house in that neighborhood or behind a you know a microgrid demark or what have you but it's still not actually running a um a local energy market even though it can sound like in the in the white papers or in the way it's described that blockchain sort of takes over and creates something that um, is impossible beforehand because there are good control layers out there now that are much more mature and blockchain, which is maybe good. It's, it, it might be, this might all work if blockchain keeps taking these steps where you've got renewable energy certificate trading, then you get into sort of micro recs in a way trading by doing peer to peer within, um, local energy markets, uh, at that layer. And then if it's up to the task, it literally starts being the uh, the layer that connects devices with um, end users, generation generators, all that, and, and stitches them together, and actually does control the the function of that local energy market by uh, leveraging all the layers of blockchain. But I don't think we're there yet. No, we're we're far we're far off from that, and you can say anything in a white paper. But in order to get to some of these concepts outlined in the most ambitious white papers, you do need standardization and a set of rules and collaboration among all the industry players. So you mentioned this before our break, Scott, and I think it's worth revisiting because of all the work that the Energy Web Foundation is doing to bring together players to rally them around. Uh, standards and data and privacy. So what are some of the concrete things that have actually happened this year that get us closer to a system of standardization so we can actually realize these you know, big visions that we've outlined? Well, there are a few I could point to. I mean, Exergy is a project of LO3 that is very focused on um, the data standardization part of a energy blockchain. And so they've started to, it's a little complicated how all these come into market and, and where you see them at work. But again, that I think it's not a standard. I guess the other thing too to understand is that 
in the internet world, these are the standards associated with telecommunications or the internet are actual standards that are, you know, agreed upon by international standards bodies. They're very technical and you know, you can literally engineer devices using those standards and you know you plug it in like USB or, you know, an Ethernet port. You know when you plug it in. You don't have any doubt that it's going to work. And that's not what Blocks we're talking are, about here. That's not, we're not quite there. <laughs> there are some things. I mean, there certainly are like an ERC-20 token. There are certainly... Um, aspects of the fundamental blockchain. I mean, obviously none of this would work if there weren't any standards or there weren't, you know, any agreed upon specifications of program too. So there, there's a lot of that fundamental fundamental part that at least there is a blockchain and um, or there are different types of blockchains and they, they do work when you program, uh, you know, using those specs to them. But the notion standards tend to be around interoperability. So when, so that there are interfaces to, whatever it is that, that you can trust. And uh, Exergy is kind of working on that, especially how energy data is um, presented to a blockchain in a standardized format. So I think that's a first step. It's certainly not done, but you know, at least there, there's a group really focused on that. Um, energy Web Foundation has made some progress on data privacy, how to have, how to mix the transparency of blockchain so it can be decentralized so participants can you know take part in validating transactions and uh it's you you move away from just a, a single centralized source but they they've had to do an extra amount of work and there may be some more coming in the future but how to protect individual data to either comply with gdpr or just custom, you know even local energy regulations how to protect that data, but still have a certain amount of transparency for regular regulators and auditors. So that's been, I think, some really important work. I wouldn't say it's done, but it's it's getting there. Um, there'll be more to come, though, and a lot of it is around scalability, uh, particularly around how can you manage in an IoT kind of world if you want to start aggregating lots of not just homes, but even home area networks that have many devices attached to them from EVs to appliances or intelligent meters inside the house, how to have all those devices, you know, represented in a local energy market that requires a tremendous amount of scalability on the blockchain or some, some of the folks are working on sort of side chains or areas where you you step back from the blockchain conduct transactions and then just map the settlement onto the blockchain there's a lot of work there that's not quite done but there's a lightning network in the financial industry there's a raiden network that uh, is a set is a kind of a toolkit to do that sort of off-chain financial uh, transaction and settlement so we're getting there but it's pretty slow i mean i would say even when between when we talked in april and now there's a lot of news, but I wouldn't say the progress is, you know, giant steps. Side chain. I, I think I had one of those connected to my Jenko jeans in the 90s when I was skateboarding. <laughs> For sure. When are those making a comeback? I think it's time. They might have already made multiple comebacks. I, I, I can't tell anymore. So there, we've talked about the barriers that we're discovering in the actual technology of blockchain. The other one that seems pertinent to me as we talk about blockchain and energy is the, you know, wild-eyed ideas that came out of the first wave of blockchain companies, many of whom raised a lot of money using just white papers. Um, 
and the hard-nosed realities of the electricity industry and particularly regulation in the electricity industry. And I feel like the best example of that would be Grid Plus, which was one of the first big um, blockchain energy initial coin offerings. They raised what at the time was worth over $30 million in cryptocurrency to become a sort of nouveau competitive retailer in Texas, but have since run into what turned out to be a much more challenging process of becoming an actual retailer in Texas than they expected. Scott, can you just kind of walk us through what happened with them? Sure, sure. No, you're right. They raised a lot of money through the token sale. I think the market cap's down to 2 million though now. So that's definitely one of the risks of funding your business through token sales. They're a, a perfect example of that. But so yeah, their first idea was to be at a, a, a retail electricity provider in the deregulated market of Texas. And what they have is both hardware and software. So they had a intelligent sort of smart agent in the house that um, managed security and then the interaction between either your smart meter or ultimately some IoT, you know, smart devices within the house and the blockchain-based network that they created there. And the idea was first to be just a utility provider and hopefully sell lower cost electricity by having a lower cost operation than a traditional uh, retail electric utility in Texas. That alone was a little hard to get my head around that, that the costs were inherently lower, but the idea to get to those lower costs was really around leveraging the blockchain to have more of a real-time connection between a user or any endpoint, any anyone that had one of these smart agents, and ERCOT's real-time wholesale electricity pricing. So instead of just the retail, the retailer setting a price for electricity, and you know it's up to them to go buy electricity at a price that you know um, works for them to to make money, and then just sell it at their retail rates. Instead. Grid Plus really did not take that role and left it to the blockchain and tried to have it be a programmable, uh, based on smart contracts, sort of a programmable digital utility that if you set your preferences for um, on this smart agent for the, the price of electricity you are looking to, to buy and you know, a, a range of attributes associated with that, then, you know, the device itself is sort of going out and getting power from ERCOT. And so ideally that would get you just basic lower cost retail electricity. What they've, and then longer term, if they, you know, interact, if you had solar, if you had batteries, you could actually start dispatching and selling electricity. Uh, a, lot, a lot of things could come in the future based on the blockchain because you had the platform. But the first step was just um, to be a, a retail electricity provider there and they, they just a month or so ago, they at least started the alphas and, and betas. There's only a handful of customers on it. But what they've found in getting their license to operate in Texas is that almost all the, the unique attributes of Grid Plus that they were bringing to it are not allowed by the regulation, um, either because of data rules, because of paying for electricity with cryptocurrency with cryptocurrency with um real-time settlement 
So billing not on 30-day cycles and traditional meter reading, but this more real-time interaction where you would be buying and selling um, or even just buying electricity throughout the day based on varying prices and settling right then and having a, a balance on your smart agent that gets drawn down over time. So prepaying, literally almost everything that was unique about that, the functions of that smart agent and the utility turns out not to be allowed or requires a waiver. And the waiver can take a year or two to get um, in Texas. So they literally just a headlong crash into Texas retail electricity rules. And Shale, this is what you brought up in one of our first editions of Consensus. We had a long conversation about regulation and you tempered the hype around blockchain by explaining how uh, difficult the regulatory environment is in energy, as anyone who knows this business understands. Yeah, I think that's just the reality of the electricity market. It's highly regulated for mostly good reason. And so, you know, the if you're thinking about building new applications using new technology, one of the two or three most important things that you have to think about are how, how does this fit within the regulatory paradigm? And if it doesn't fit within the regulatory paradigm, then you need to push for new regulation, which is any clean tech startup trying to push for new regulation will tell you is a long, slow process that doesn't match well with the very hypey hold an initial coin offering and try to raise $30 million off of a white paper. I mean, for what it's worth, I don't think that's happening as much anymore. Am I wrong, Scott? Have we seen new energy ICOs in the past six months? No, not too many at all. Uh, a small handful. And actually, most of them are now, when I see them happen, they're uh, sort of SEC compliant. They're not just going out with an ICO um, as they had in the past. There's much more uh, sort of diligence and financial rigor around that. So I think that's a positive thing. Um, Wait, can I? Can we just take a step back and explain why that has dried up the the ICO market? Well, I mean, partially because of the. I, I guess it's a chicken or an egg question, sort of. But the the crash in the price of the main cryptocurrencies, I think, has been. A big part of that because what happened was, or part of what happened was that there were a bunch of early investors in Bitcoin and Ethereum and things like that, who then as the price shot upward on paper were holding an incredible amount of value. Some of them wanted to spread their bets. You know, they still believed in cryptocurrency, but they didn't want to be tied too closely to a specific cryptocurrency. So ultimately they decided to invest in ICOs and other cryptocurrencies. That I think fed at least a portion of some of these these ICOs and made them look on paper like they're raising a lot of money. But then since, of course, the price of Bitcoin, the price of Ethereum has fallen through the floor. And so you just don't have that source of quote unquote capital anymore. Is, is that your understanding, Scott? Yeah, absolutely. That's the market context. And then there have been other, I would say the SEC's, you know, sort of closer uh, oversight of the whole space and starting to put out some actual rules and opinions about whether a token is a security, clearing up a lot of that. There's not much legal advice or support you can get now to just run a traditional ICO in, in the U.S. at least. You really do need to kind of adhere to more traditional uh, fundraising rules, and that does limit um, your investor pool in a lot of cases. They have to be accredited or you know what have you. It, it's become a much... It, quickly became a more mature market. So that's going to have a dampening effect too. So one of the other, I think, positive developments in the world of 
energy and blockchain is the increased involvement of utilities um, and the recognition from the startup blockchain energy companies that they they need to partner with utilities and to figure out how to get this stuff up at scale. Can you just kind of run us through the state of utilities as it relates to blockchain energy today and any notable activities that you think have happened in the last six months? Yeah, no, that's a great observation. The utilities and their continued and I would say increased interest in at least testing the technology, running pilots, working with vendors and working with each other is a great indication that this isn't going away it may not be hyped for much longer and we may be in this you know trough of disillusionment and you know slowly coming out but utilities by and large and we've seen it firsthand at at gtm at our conferences and then if you look out at the news we're covering and other announcements around the world utilities are, are very much engaged with at least understanding blockchain capabilities and how either they can leverage it or potentially how it could become a threat to them if it's if they are looking to be disintermediated in certain markets so how it's a threat or how it's you know something they would pursue through an unregulated um, arm however that works there's a lot of activity centrica has been very active in energy trading both in the uk and then investing in um, blockchain startups and you know taking part in different consortia um, we've got, there's a bunch in, uh, Southeast Asia, Australia, Singapore's SP group is doing rec trading. Now PJM here is doing uh, a project on rec trading. Uh, Axiona in Spain is looking at rec certification and trading. So you see a lot of that right now. Power Ledger has, um, a trial underway with Bangkok's utility around local energy markets, some energy trading, things like that. Um, as I said, WePower is working with uh, the Belgian TSO Elia around that, uh, you know, just understanding the capabilities of blockchain for energy trading within Estonia. Uh, even up here in New England, Burlington Electric's working with o- Omega Grid on uh, a DR program leveraging blockchain as the, you know, the means of uh, the ledger for demand response and uh, the means of financial settlement. And there's quite a few in Asia. There's, uh, I think even the state grid of China has at least a blockchain program underway. Uh, I think there's a lot and I think we're going to see more and more TEPCO, KEPCO. You literally can go around almost every region of the globe and there is a pilot, a trial, a partnership, an investment, something like that. So blockchain, I think is something at least at the C-suite of every utility, they want to have an opinion on, they want to understand if it's, um, a valuable technology to invest in or be afraid of whatever it is, but they're all taking part in it. So I think it's a good sign. And that's more and more, I think that's where we'll look to see if this is actually going to become a reality. Yeah, for sure. A lot of utilities on fact finding missions. Let's hope they're not alternative facts as they like to say in Washington, DC. So Scott, we've got a, uh, a a Christmas potluck, a holiday potluck coming up with a Yankee swap, and I don't really know what to get, folks. If I wanted to get a a blockchain themed gift, what what would I get? Or if I wanted to get something for you, what are you asking for in, in for this holiday season? So I have this idea. It doesn't exist. It's a little sci-fi, but I think the ultimate cryptocurrency is if there were something that could be created that is a time coin. So if somehow one can mint time 
and therefore you could trade time, there would be a whole currency in the in the world, or even if it were here in the United States, or even New England, where for whatever effort someone did on one thing, it could even be for like the public good, the reward would be the minting of a time coin and they could trade that. And what I think, it would create this very democratic value where if you had time coins, you could trade those for something of value. Like I'll give you an hour, where literally your clock would go back an hour and you'd get that time back in your life, that hour you lost commuting, that hour you lost watching a terrible show on Netflix. I could actually trade you time for something of value from you. So it's this democratizing uh, labor and the effort of, of one's labor for public good into time. So I'm looking for someone to come up with the physics <laughs> and the the cryptocurrency associated with the tradability of time. <laughs> that it both frightens me and enthralls me because I am definitely a slave to time. Um, as anyone in my you family will it, tell right? you, I do very much. Maybe I value it too highly. So, uh, I think it would work well for me, but I'm trying my best to like get away from being a slave to time. So, um, I, I wish you luck in that venture, but I probably won't invest in the first round. <laughs> All right. <laughs> in the meantime, maybe I'll go shop at Pendleton or something and get you like a Western themed Bitcoin wallet. Sounds good. Sounds good. Hey, thanks for joining us, Scott. This was this was fun. A lot happened in the last uh, six months or so, and I'm glad you're here to help fill us in. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. Good to talk to you guys. So Scott Clavenna is the founder of Green Tech Media. He's the chairman of GTM and Wood McKenzie Power and Renewables, and he's our blockchain enthusiast. Shale Khan is the senior vice president of research and strategy at Energy Impact Partners. He is my co-host. Uh, for all of you out there, if you want to invest in our new interchange ICO, hit us up on Twitter and spread the word around to your friends. You can get in on the ground floor, and maybe you can also get in on Scott's venture as well. The only thing you have to do is send a link to this podcast out on Twitter and then rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, and you will be an investor in the interchange ICO. Until then, happy holidays, folks. Hope you have a great week. I'm Stephen Lacey with Shale Khan. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media.